Everyone has a birthday they'll always remember. This is Andy's. Break bazooka. Ready to spring into action. The drills of armor. We got us a war to win. Who are you calling small? We have met the enemy. He is big. He is fat. Miss Pierce is there. She fell from the kitchen window. I said talk to me, damn it, or else I'm gonna throw you in the fire. You stupid bitch, you filthy slut! Did you fuck with me? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Why haven't you done it yet? Come on, guys. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out in two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over a year. So if you haven't made so the jump long. to Patreon yet, uh, we can't stress enough. I'm pretty sure we got 37 bonus episodes, yeah. something along those lines back there now. Uh, Hours so there's a of lot content. waiting for you, and we'd recommend making that jump. Speaking of which, we do have three new patrons to thank this week. We have Will Harahan. I believe Will was previously a patron, so he is back. Thank you, we, Will. we like when people are coming back. Yes, no, we appreciate no, We you. have no hurt feelings about you leaving <laughs> at any point. We just no, like to see you back. Uh, we also have one Rick Kane. Welcome, Rick and Abby Phelps. Awesome. So thanks thank to all guys. of you guys. We appreciate it and hope you're enjoying all those bonus Patreon episodes. Uh, other plug iTunes. If you guys are listening on iTunes and you guys have been really liking the show, we would, uh, really appreciate it. If you go over there and give us a good old rating and review, it helps us find new listeners. And we appreciate that, uh, as well. Also, we're on every podcast listener yeah. of choice. Everything. Again, nobody's yelled at me yet YouTube, for not being on Spotify, something. Spotify, Stitcher. Exactly. So if you haven't, uh, if you've just heard us randomly on SoundCloud or something and you want a more convenient place to listen to us, we are out there. Yeah. All right. That, I think, wraps up the plugs for the week. I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me, as always, is my co-host... Jamie Miller. Welcome back. We are back talking sleazy movies once more, and this be- this episode, it's the OG Boys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we don't went d- guest list this it, time. It doesn't happen too often, but back when this show first started, we didn't have guests for the first, I think, like, like five or, or six. Yeah, at least yeah. at least a month or two of no, no guests. So. Uh, but we've got so accustomed <laughs> to having guests on our the, free uh, episodes. The mic situation yes. that we had to deal with for so long. But yeah. that's a that's it was, a long story. It wasn't story. great. Yeah, way in the past now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've we've updated we our mic situation <laughs> exactly. Um, but Jamie and I are going guestless this week um, because we wanted to do. Um, Two movies that, I mean, I've wanted to bring on the show for a long time. These are childhood movies for me. I don't know about you. Were these both? Yeah. You saw them both as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be a bit of a personal episode for Jamie and I's childhoods. Maybe we're exposing our ages a little bit here. (laughs) Um, But also, one of them. Small soldiers. Exactly. And one of them has a remake, which should have opened in theaters by the time you guys are listening to this, I think should be in theaters. Yeah. Um, so I'm maybe you guys stoked. are already I checking it out. I hope it's good. I heard uh, Mark Hamill is playing Chucky, which is, oh, okay. which is interesting, or That's at least voicing him. Like, I don't know if they're going to do the whole thing with like what they do in this film, where 
he's Mark Hamill first and then goes into the doll. Right, right, so right. that'll be interesting to see if Mark Hamill plays like a badass yeah, villain. Yeah, and I mean, I've always kind of liked Brad Dourif as Chucky too, and I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I really love his voice. I'm pretty sure Brad Dourif is still around too, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious why they wouldn't. I, he mean, was, I know he was in the Halloween remake, mm. uh, Rob Zombie's, like, I guess that was a few years back. Well, now, yeah, like. and he was just in the Deadwood movie. He's on the oh, okay. the Western HBO show. Yeah. He was in, he was, so he's, he's still around, so clearly maybe they couldn't get him back or that's... Yeah. Oh, Hopefully maybe, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Or maybe he didn't want to do it. Who it, knows? Yeah, maybe it's also something like a different direction. Maybe they're going completely. In I a, think so. I, and they, they wanted to forget entirely <laughs> the, the 80s one, which, I mean, I love the 80s one. So well, we'll yeah, and it, it, it does sound like the new one is the first one, I think, not written by Don Mancini, who was the oh, writer of okay. every single Chucky film up until this yeah. one that's being released I'm also now. curious if they're going to go in a more satirical route or if they're going to stick with what, like the first one here that we're about to talk about, which actually, it, although there is some, some humor because, you know, Chucky is this evil villain who cracks a few jokes here and there, I guess. But most of this one, he's just like a pure violent uh, oh, you know, yeah. entity. The humor is kind of like incidental. It's kind of like yeah. part of the premise. Right. Like it's a Whereas silly premise. As the series goes on, it just becomes a complete like parody of itself, basically. Exactly. But I guess we should introduce these films before yeah. we get too far <laughs> into this. Uh, we are going to be talking about Child's Play, yeah. 1988, directed by uh, one Tom Holland and uh, written by Don Mancini, who is the creator of this character, the Chucky, the killer doll, mm. um, and uh, has been writing every single movie up until whatever the last one was, Cult of Chucky in 2017. So he's been yeah. writing all of the Chucky movies since then, which is pretty crazy to me that he didn't get this franchise ripped away from him sooner. <laughs> yeah. most, most people don't he even get to, to write to their sequel. places, man. He really did. Yeah, I was on a podcast a few months ago where I was talking Bride of Chucky with with right. some guys at the. So you've seen where it goes. <laughs> yeah, it goes it goes to some pretty uh, gonzo places that yeah. I'm surprised they let him go to. Uh, but we're going to be pairing it with another movie about uh, animated toys coming to life uh, with violent intentions. Yeah, and I remember is, this one by the way as yeah. a kid scared me more than Child's Play did. Oh yeah, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, there's something about this one that. It's Joe Dante, man. Yeah, it's going to be talking 1998 Joe Dante small soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, they are frightening. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are a little frightening soldiers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, both films involve toys coming to life to kill their owners <laughs> in some capacity. <laughs> yep. I'm surprised there's even two of these movies that exist know, in this exact amazing. genre. <laughs> uh, a very niche genre. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I think that we are going to just jump right into it. We are going to be talking Child's Play. No one believes the truth. Or lives to tell it. There's nothing nice about murder. And there's nothing innocent. About child's play. All right, we are talking child's play, the 1988 American horror slasher film directed and co-written by uh, Tom Holland as well as uh, David Kirshner and Don Mancini. It is the first film in what would become the Child's Play or Chucky series franchise Um, um, and obviously the first to feature the character Chucky who would eventually sort of overtake the franchise as a whole which uh, wasn't necessarily what I think they intended when he first uh, 
were conceptualizing the film. Um, but I think a lot of people latched on to the design and just the wackiness of this premise overall. Yeah. Um, I mean, to see a, to see a, a, a toy that's clearly designed for children safe, <laughs> like call like the mama slut and all that <laughs> shit. It's just like this kind of it's shocking. shocking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and oddly humorous at times, like there, yeah. there's like, you don't want this doll to be doing this, but because you're watching something that's so bizarre, yeah. you just kind of have to laugh at times. I wouldn't say that the humor is like in the forefront in this one, really, compared to the other ones. Well, yeah, because I, I think that you were right when you were talking about it. I think the idea is that there's not there's just not a lot of jokes in this movie. Right. But the actual situation itself is so absurd exactly. that you can't help but like find it. You exactly. know, you know, sometimes humorous and shocking in, right. in, in its own regard. And um, I was on another podcast talking about this, the Your Obligatory Movie podcast a few months ago where we were talking Bride of Chucky. So for anyone who listened to that episode, some of this might be a little regurgitated. But basically, I wanted to mention off the top, this was one of the first R-rated movies I ever saw. This mm, and RoboCop. Me, me too. Were, Not RoboCop, but uh, this one, yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember the exact context of how I saw this movie. I know that my mom watched R-rated movies, and maybe I just, like, you know, caught a little bit by, like, sneaking in or, like, taking a peek or whatever. Yeah. But uh, Chucky gave me literal nightmares. Um, oh, yeah? I, I don't remember nightmares or dreams at all as an adult <laughs> but i can visualize the nightmares i had as a child and i can vividly remember like chucky grabbing my feet with his little knife at the end of my bed coming out of my closet and oh, stuff shit. like that and I, I was horrified like i had like Damn, i was like dude. sweaty sweaty nightmares uh as as a result of this movie as a child um uh, so that was my first experience with it. Um, and on, on rewatches, uh, pretty impactful. <laughs> yes. Very impactful early cinematic experience. And since then I've only really kind of grown to latch on to the movie because of, um, for me, it was actually kind of the children's advertising angle of, of this film. Sure. Um, I grew up, um, with a single mom, um, and I grew up watching a lot of TV shows that tried to sell me shit. Yep. Why um, so, <laughs> TV and all that? So I find this movie, in, in terms of conception, like just very, very relatable. And I find myself um, especially um, focusing on how just bad I feel for this working class mom who's trying to like... She's just trying to make her kid happy, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and she sees... And I mean, the, the, the child actor, I think, who plays Andy is actually quite good in the film. He mostly yeah. plays it innocent. And, he, and he, it doesn't go into that realm of like obnoxious. It goes into that no. realm of just like... Because the kid's just kind of like, okay, when you can't get the toy, but the right. mom, you know, but the you mom. you know there's disappointment it, there. And I was, I was, I was very glad to see that, that they didn't, you know, do it over the top or anything like that. Yeah, we're like, we're, still make we're the like kid the kid's likeable. like freaking out or yeah, like anything like that. Because you still want to make this kid likable before he's about to go through this entirely traumatic experience. So. Yeah. Well, in those early scenes where he's like watching the good guy TV show yeah. and he's just like, oh, uh, oh, I've, I've seen this one or whatever. And like and the, the the TV show pivots directly into like a commercial for the doll, <laughs> yep. basically. And this is a thing that's always kind of fascinated me is the idea of like, first of all, how is children's advertising like? legal like when you really think about it yeah you're just like you're, there should be at least be more regulations towards well, it like yeah, they like, even we'll get to it but they even talk a lot about it with like small soldiers where essentially it, yeah. they're just lying to children that's really what it is yeah. if they were just like 
here's the action figure and they showed like a couple kids playing with it, I wouldn't mind as much. But the fact that they're like showing it fly across the, the well, whole world and, and you know and also beams how, are coming out of its eyes and yeah, whatever. And, and for me especially it's how just directly entwined it is with the like program itself like right. the, the, so the, it's the like, show that you know, they're we're watching programming the they're, kid to love this and then they're also like now we'll cut to buying this please buy this you need it you know like exactly yeah, and so. you know their minds aren't fully developed and right. they're basically just like training them to consume very very early on and later right. later child's play films would actually uh, address this a little bit mm-hmm. um child's play two and three both kind of have um you know d- dive a little deeper into the idea of you know the actual corporation and the actual factory and stuff like that where yeah. they are making the good guy like dolls even, like in the second one it's funny that the the factory itself is almost what destroys chucky yes. you know at the end so that's yeah they have a big factory finale that's yeah. really great in child's play too um and from what i understand when mancini was conceptualizing this film he actually had a little bit more they, they did rewrite his draft of the script in a way that kind of made it a little bit more um, sort of like a typical slasher. Oh, whereas okay. he wanted an idea of like the thing, the doll makes its way into the home and like Andy has, it's like kind of also like weirdly fleshy and stuff like that. And oh. Andy had Mitt Forge, Forge is like a blood bond with the doll and the doll starts like acting out all of Andy's like suppressed rage. So it starts like trying wow. to like target the other children and stuff like that, that he's Shit. mad at. Um, he really wanted to go in deep with that. He really of, like, wanted psychological. To, yeah. Element. He wanted to connect the doll and the child a little yeah. bit more to the point where it was supposed to be more confusing on whether Andy or the doll is doing it. Oh, so, so they were basically almost what the detective is thinking at first. Yes. They wanted that to go throughout the entire film. Yeah, his 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 original draft of the, of the screenplay um, had had a little bit more of that, but that subtext still remains throughout the entire film. This idea of something insidious making its way into your home through means that seem innocuous, like yeah. you're watching and an, taking advantage of innocence. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's like you you obviously. He thinks, you know, it's like when you had that little stuffed animal when you were seven. Uh, you, you, if it started talking when you were seven, you'd probably be like, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Sick. <laughs> Sweet. I got a talking animal. So when, and what's interesting too is the way that they direct it is, is they have it, or I guess write it, is how they have all the conversations between Andy and Chucky until I guess near more the end. Uh, they have them all just Andy telling you that Chucky's been saying this. Right. So there's still a bit of that, like, what's happening here? You know, is, oh, yeah. is it just innocence? Is he lying? Is, you know, we don't know. Exactly. He's a, he's a, he's a child. You know, his brain is still developing. Like, you yeah. don't know exactly what's happening or what he's thinking or, you know. So um, this movie does mine a lot of that. And I, I hmm. think every time I rewatch this film, the thing I'm the most surprised about it is um, how patient it is with the premise yeah because it takes a long time before chucky reveals himself i want to say yeah, it's it really about does. it's about halfway through the movie before you actually see chucky in his uh full out psycho form yeah because uh, most of it is just it's, little hints it's like there's that great sequence where the mom is uh listening in to see if andy and him talk and chucky actually notices and then just acts like a normal doll and it even uh closes in on his face and shows him going to sleep as if it's a human being and not just a doll that's, you know, stationary. So yeah. that was interesting too. Well, yeah. And, and same, like all of the sort of like more ominous tone that makes its way into the movie, it's all really through like implied camera vocabulary. Yeah, like yeah. none of it is really seen you like some, maybe you'll hear like footsteps or, or like when the mom walks in and they're sitting facing each other 
Oh, and yeah. they're just you're like, was a conversation happening here? It's just a very creepy, ominous image. Or or when when the babysitter puts Chucky in the bed with Andy, and then mm. she comes back out, and the TV, the news is on. And he's just sitting there. He's just sitting just there watching chilling. the news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really interesting that you know the, the just the visual language for the film is all sort of like POV imagery from the point of view like of the doll as yeah. he's like moving around like and it and it's very like down below because the doll is so small right. um and I think it's a huge accomplishment that like they make a doll of that size like genuinely physically intimidating yeah um, absolutely I, I think that the camera work here is like a huge part of that where like you get that um, I mean, it's using a lot of slasher techniques. Again, the POV we talked about on, yeah. on our Halloween episode, and it's been in quite a lot of slasher stuff that we've talked about. Um, but just the way that they use imagery that already freaks us out. Right. But they use it in just sort of like a smaller, cuter, more disarming context. Yeah. And then, but then you still see that the results are, you know, even though, you know, it's, it's on a smaller scale, the results are still horrifying. Like when, when he eventually kills people, like it's pretty vicious and brutal. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. in, in ways that again, I think you're already disarmed, I think by sort of like the look and the premise of all of this, like it's mm. a little fucking cabbage patch looking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, what, what can <laughs> that thing do? Um, and then all of a sudden he's like slicing ankles off where he's like electrocuting someone until their eyes are bleeding or like, you know, like it's right. just, or even when it gets p- to that eventual point, the voodoo doll Ooh. that fucked me right up. Yeah. Bone breaking is really something that gets me. Yeah. So, and they, I, I remember I, that's whew, one that of the few ones I can remember yeah. as a kid is, you know, like the, um, uh, him going back to like his voodoo teacher and like snapping his, his leg, his leg and then, yeah. yeah just and they, and they out, outright show it and it's a, it's a pretty brutal sequence yeah well and i mean that that also maybe we could we could get back for for people who maybe haven't seen the movie the opening the reason that there's anyone in this doll at all in the first place yeah, is yeah. the opening prologue of this film which is really kind of like unnecessary but it's such a batshit prologue that it's yeah. crazy that they put it in at all and plus i love the performance uh, what's his name again? it's brad duriff brad duriff his performance is great even pre-chucky like yeah. he's got this long hair and this trench coat and he's he's just very uh he's supposed spastic and and like you don't know what the next thing he's gonna do is and yeah he's very un- unpredictable and yeah. violent and kind of i mean they're they're trying to make him like like a psychopath basically right, yeah you know and he's he's running through the the kid's store and he's basically getting killed by the by the cops and his one buddy abandons him in there and then yeah yep. he satanically voodoos himself into a children's doll which is such a great sequence too. This yeah. whole like all the clouds Whoa, just start yeah, coming and yeah. <laughs> give me the power, I beg of you. <laughs> it's just so epic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then when 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 the mom goes and buys you know the the good guy doll for her child, she ends up buying the one uh, that that red, one <laughs> that exact doll. Unfortunately, yes. Um, I guess it's also too. She gets it off the uh, the black market, if you will, because she gets it off of a, a bum in an alleyway. Yeah, the guy who like pro- presumably probably stole it while the show, yeah. or while the store was like being looted or something yeah. like that. That's what that's what like the assumption, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that this is a really like like it's a unique twist on like a horror slasher film yeah to like just make the the actual character you know like a small children's toy Mm. um and the way that it interacts with the larger themes of the movie of you know like a you know a a working class mom taking care of her only child kind of deal and how obviously that child is going to be a little bit lonelier because you know it doesn't have you know as many people in its life yeah um 
And then Andy obviously latches onto television. He latches onto this toy that he sees on television. Right. And then, and I mean, now the toy's talking to him. And then you so introduce that toy into your home. Yeah. And a serial killer is inside of it. <laughs> yeah. So now he's making friends with the wrong people. Yeah. And, and what's amazing is how... I think that the I think that Charles Lee Ray is what the serial killer's name is, yeah. which which I, I I read was modeled after Charles Manson, Lee oh, okay. Harvey Oswald, or whatever, and uh, uh, shit there and one Ray, other yeah, famous I killer. Yeah, I think there's a Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, but it, it's pretty amazing to me that his character just immediately is okay with his situation, and the first thing he does is just like very creatively manipulate the child into yeah. doing what you want it to do. He really seems like. It, he gets, it seems he, like he gets he's into that world very pretty fast. smart too. Yeah. Like he he had his plan already formulated in a way. He knew exactly how to manipulate Andy. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because you'd think that he would just be like a purely violent entity, right? Where yeah. it's like he gets in, he just looks for opportunities, and then he starts you know doing whatever he needs to do. But he really does take his time <laughs> and and really tries to get into Andy's. He's head. very sneaky and yeah. he's very uh, yeah, yeah he's very manipulative. Um and you know like he he gets Andy to skip school and walk him all the way. That gave me such anxiety as an adult now watching yeah. that scene. I was just like, is 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 someone on the subway gonna be like, child, like, where are you going? Yeah, like, <laughs> this kid up and get him home like when he gets off the train and he's just in like this new york like ghetto area and then he walks into an even more uh like terrible dystopian looking area uh and you know that it's just like a a drug house and all that and then he goes i need to take a tinkle and i'm like go home kid You say tinkle. Yeah. You shouldn't be here. Yeah. Meanwhile, the doll is making its way over to the, I I mean, you assume that it was like his hideout where the buddy who abandoned him in the opening scene is there. um, And he uh, basically explodes him in in the house. Yeah. He leaks the, uh, does a gas leak and then has the the guy shoot out so that he shoots it. So he like technically kills himself, I guess, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's an elaborate death that, uh, you figure that Chucky would just go in, stab whatever, but he had the whole, it's almost like he wanted more, you know, uh, (laughs) a bit more of a powerful revenge for his friend. That Yeah. I mean, he's uh, for, for being so physically, um, you know, sort of, uh, I guess what's the word here for being physically, um, outmatched by adults, like all the humans that he's killing. (laughs) He really does find creative ways to, to knock them off. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What I find interesting too is, uh, which I actually think is what makes those violent, the violent scenes like fun to watch because yeah. you're watching someone have to like figure out like, figure out like how he's gonna like, do like, it like as a how, three foot tall character exactly how <laughs> if you're like this little tiny thing are you gonna like kill full grown which adults? is funny because that leads to like the first kill which is he has to get on top of the counter in order to do it <laughs> so that's what that's, gives him away that's when, he, when, when he when he pushes the babysitter out the yeah. uh, apartment and he window, uses right? a little toy hammer from the set oh, that the yeah. mom buys the kid too so right it's it's pretty it's humorous in a very dark dark way. Well, yeah, because that's funny when that when the cops are doing the crime scene and they're leaving and uh, he they take like the little tiny like four inch hammer and they put it in the little evidence bag and he's like I think we've got our murder weapon and the guy's like <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great. Speaking of the uh, detectives, I actually really enjoyed the detectives arc believing in this doll. 
because you know he's of course at first he's just the typical yeah. cop he's like no a doll didn't didn't kill anybody but just as the story goes on he even gets to a point where the mom starts to go to him and say that it's happening yeah and for a second he's like okay i'll listen to you and then he goes no Actually, wait i'm no, rational fuck, i'm yeah. rational i yeah. think rationally no yeah. this is this is bizarre and i'm not listening to it and uh and then as it goes it just exposes it, it gets exposed to him and his reaction is actually pretty funny in in a in a way and yeah. then it just gets purely violent i mean that sequence where they're going through the uh the car Oh, and yeah. he's strangling him, and then he burns uh, Chucky with the uh, the lighter from the from yeah. the vehicle, and then it like does the a car huge flips. Crash. Yeah, and then you see Chucky's little feet little like run away. Oh yeah, so it's got <laughs> once again. There's this mix of like because that almost gives this sense of innocence and a little like bit it's of cute. Like, cuteness. It, like 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 in right. another in another context, it would be cute, exactly. but in this one, it's horrifying. <laughs> you know that thing's out to kill you. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's after Chucky has finally revealed himself. But I think one of the scariest scenes in the movie is the scene where he reveals himself, is the scene where he's finally oh, pushed. Yeah. Because, the mom? Be- because the whole point yeah. is he's like, he's kind of put been pushing things with Andy, and he's been letting Andy take the fall every single time for it. Like, when yeah. they finally find that Andy skipped school and they, like, uncovered him at a, an explosion in a ghetto, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they were like... It's not uh, looking good for old yeah, Andy. Yeah, what's up, Andy? Uh, and, and Andy is, like, yelling at the doll, being like, come like, on, like, tell talk. them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you need to not leave me holding the bag man like yeah. come on what's going <laughs> thought on we were bros man <laughs> yeah and you can see the mom's pain when the psychiatrist is like like Dude, we should we should keep andy like and, yeah. and i mean she was just at work she was gonna pick him up after school yeah and you know so the mom comes you know is coming home and realizes that her kid is being kept in psychiatric you know violent psychiatric help basically yeah um and it's really sad when she has to leave him there and when she and then yeah she brings she has to bring the doll home though and when she brings the doll home this this sequence where she is just kind of like i love this. She, she doesn't believe it I don't think, but she yells and she's just like, I need you to talk. I I need you to help me out. I think there is, I agree with you. I don't think she like believes it, but I think there's a part of her that just trusts her son so much to this point that she's like, why would he be still holding on to this lie? Yeah, exactly. Dull fucking talk, you know? And I love that, that there is like this, this trust within her son that makes her just kind of go to the bizarre point where it's like, maybe this doll is alive, you know, yeah. just like, for a second. Well, because she would rather believe anyway that, exactly. the, that, that the doll is talking yeah. and that her kid isn't lying than that her kid is crazy because everything we saw leading up to that, the kid seemed pretty mature and the kid yeah. seemed pretty like aware of things that were happening. Like Absolutely. he had never previously revealed, you know, a sadistic or, yeah, really you know, the changes occurred the moment they got the doll. Yeah. And he's, so. and then he's blaming it on the doll. So, yeah, you know, so it's so like, yeah, the, the, the scene where she brings Chucky home and she's just yelling at the doll being like talk to me talk to me like say something mm. um and then and then that classic like it's in the house it's been in the, the house perfectly the whole time. calibrated suspense of yeah. when she finally goes to the box to see if there's anything on the box and the batteries fall out and she so realizes good. She slowly walks over to the doll and pulls out the back to be like we never put the batteries in it but I've seen it talking in the way it's supposed to talk uh, yeah. so she knows that it's been, you know, in use in, but 
it has been strategically in front of everyone but Andy acting like how the doll is supposed to act. Yeah. And then with Andy being Charles Lee Ray. Yeah, what we're about to see. <laughs> yeah, and then... I love, too, that they fake it out first. Like, well, not fake it. You know that the doll is, is, a, is a killer, but they fake it out for the mom once more where he turns and he goes, hi, I'm Chucky. And then she drops it. Yeah. And then she looks into the, the, yeah. the couch again, grabs it again, just yeah. to be like, what What's was that? that? What yeah. the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. And then the, the fireplace moment is where everything kind of just blows up, right? Yeah, yeah. Because as soon as, soon as uh, and, and I got to say, the, the design of the doll and the animatronics when Unreal. he eventually switches are unbelievable. So they're so good. convincing and they're so well done. Um, and they're mostly I was actually used, waiting for that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was still going to be. I kind of forgot how it looked. But like, the way that they make his eyebrows oh, yeah. go down, the way that Instantly they change the shape of his face to make it look real evil. Life. Like, yeah. it, it, like it's alive. It doesn't, it's no longer this doll. It really does, you know, make your brain think the way that it's. Well, yeah. And, and it works with the premise of the movie, which is that as right. the longer he's in the doll's body, the more human he's becoming inside the doll. Yeah. And then, yeah. so when the doll starts doing more human facial interactions, facial interactions like you know his brows start to furrow his face starts to take on like this evil glee yeah, to it gritting his teeth. well and, and well and, and he's so angry when yeah. she finds out oh and yeah he's like you stupid he thinks of every derogatory term for a woman and just throws it at her basically yeah and then he starts like biting biting her arm yeah um because at this point it's like he was close you know and he knows that so so he really is pissed now that his plan has been totally foiled yeah he he basically took manipulating andy as far as it could go yeah um and yeah when he starts like physically attacking her uh it's pretty terrifying and then again the way that the glide cam moves as he's like r- running around the rooms and the pov yeah. shots that it takes on of him eventually when he makes his way out of the apartment and goes down the elevator they don't even show him they just show the elevator moving down yeah. but you know like your brain immediately is just like he fucking touched that's that button fucking, he's going down yeah. <laughs> that's the best part is when your brain starts to just you know take the missing puzzle pieces and place them and and yeah. it works perfectly they they do the sequences so that you you're allowed to do that it's very well done yeah well because from what i understand um, and i also love how they have like a little kid or maybe it's a uh, a midget that's uh running around in the halls like you'll see them for a split second oh yeah like because they need to have chucky run like every once in a while so they couldn't have done it yeah yeah and it's mostly in the wide shots because yeah. they, they do have scenes where, like where he's standing still or when he's like moving slowly like in the later yeah. scenes when he's creeping around the house right with the slow feet movements like that's all like Those puppeteering are, and stuff like yeah. that but yeah you're right they they did use um uh actors and they use small children uh, too when they were doing um, scenes where like Chucky's like running around a house and stuff like right, that. Yeah, or, like, I, or the sequence where uh, Andy's looking at Chucky climbing the stairs towards his cell. Oh yeah, both kind of funny just because once again you're watching this three foot doll climbing stairs ready yeah. to kill somebody but also terrifying because you know for andy that that thing's just coming to kill him oh yeah and andy's putting on a fucking awesome performance in this cell scene where he's crying to the guard oh, and yeah. saying like he's coming to kill me it yeah. was a genuinely like you know heartfelt moment for well, andy yeah, i was really concerned what it really looks like when like a young boy is like crying like, yeah it was very like, good he's very good in this well, yeah, he's like why does no one believe me yeah. and he, like he doesn't understand oh. at all it's oh just, my soul he just believes in the doll you right know? exactly <laughs> poor andy <laughs> poor andy <laughs> um 
Yeah, and well, yeah, and I, I was also going to bring up that because we we've been talking about it quite a bit, but the, the choice to do the more like implied horror angle for the first half of this film for the majority of it mm-hmm. um, was one that I think they made a little bit later in development, and I think it was because they realized kind of the limitations of the effects that they were doing sure, yeah. that like they had to choose their shots more carefully because it they were you know they weren't being convincing, so they they did that thing where you where you know it, it got started with Jaws for the most part, but like that thing of where you kind of just like. Something's there, yeah. but, but what is it exactly? Right. Um, and this movie does that for a really, really solidly long time. Um, and then, but by the time they switch to effect shots, which is what we're going to talk about as we switch here over to the, you know, the closer to the finale here, the effect shots are really well done too. So it looks like mm. they just like strategically saved their budget <laughs> yeah, for, <it's> a, yeah. <laughs> for the back half of this movie where, you know, he eventually makes his way into the um the actual like mental hospital to go Mm. and take on andy because he realizes that if he doesn't voodoo himself into andy's body um that he'll be stuck in the doll so he makes his way to andy trying to do that and he kills one of the 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 doctors there um he kills all kinds of people he kills um obviously we already talked about he kills the 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 voodoo guy yeah Um, brutal he tries (laughs) to kill the detective and that's finally when the detective i think finally starts believing i believe it now (laughs) this whole movie is like people not believing it until they literally see it yeah and they even make a joke of it at the end of the film when we get to the big climax here because one other cop finally sees it and he's like okay i guess now i believe you and you then he's He's like like, who's gonna believe me (laughs) exactly especially now because nobody can even (laughs) see the damn thing we just blew it half to hell yeah and, and yeah i think that the final set piece um it's really technically good. Yeah. For, for me, I was hoping for a little bit more of an ending that maybe hit a little bit harder on the themes and the characters a little bit. It does go sure. a little bit typical slasher ending where they where just, just kind of kill it. They just have to kill it. Yeah. And, and, well, and then it keeps coming back and they have to kill yeah. it again. Although I do love that because watching this little doll that's just been like burned back. alive, you know, limbs ripped off. He's like, I'm still going to try to choke you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. Also, speaking of the first, uh, what we think is the first death of, of Chucky. Um, when he said the line where he's just like, friends to the end, right? Andy. Oh, and then right. Andy's awesome delivery where he's like, this is the end, friend. <laughs> Puts the match Puts in the, the match fireplace. And I'm like, you badass six-year-old motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that 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 bit where they... So good. Because, uh, like, I mean, Andy actually kind of reveals himself to be a little bit resourceful in the mental hospital set yeah. piece. Where, like, he's, like, tricking Chucky into, like, taking certain routes and avoiding him and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and the final set piece, too, they have to reveal a little bit of that resourcefulness where they have to take him down. Yeah, when they lock him in the fireplace and light him on fire. Such a great The image moment. of the doll just, like, melting and screaming. And they even yeah, make Yeah, because, it- I mean, you know, the- Chucky has this very, very aggressive kind of, like, guttural voice yeah. in, a, in a way. So when he starts screaming, it just sounds like, you know, just pure pain. And yeah, well, and, and, and the way that they've, um, like, morphed the look of the doll over the course of the movie, the whole point is that he's becoming more human-like inside the doll form. Mm-hmm. Um, so they even make him a little bit more, like, fleshy and bloody and, like, yeah. um, by the time they get to the end. So it actually does look not just, like, plastic melting. Like, it looks like skin melting off. Right. And uh, w- when he does come back after being burned and he's, like, ch- all charred and, like, you can <laughs> see his little teeth hanging out yeah. and, like, like it just looks like what a person person would look like if they were charred right basically but really tiny and holding a little butcher knife <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coming to kill your ass oh, man. so yeah the set piece through the house is actually quite 
um, scary as well. And same mm. with, and I mean the, the whole premise of the movie, I find just scary. Yeah. I think, I think it works a little bit less hard on me as an adult than it did as a child, mostly because sure, like, yeah. again, my, you know, your brain's not fully developed to like see that kind of, and I mean, I've seen so many horror movies and slasher movies yeah. at this point yeah. that I, I now have a context for where these images come from, even though I do think it's really effective to translate this into a completely different idea and a different mm. physical form and stuff. So it's like, it's, it's pretty effective horror filmmaking, even if it's not like particularly unique horror filmmaking in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've just found a way to translate it to their own premise, which is just a pretty solid premise. Cause again, I found myself less scared. I think by like, the physicality of what was really happening and more scared on a level of that's a fucking children's doll. Yeah. Like that's just a scary idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's something that you so innocuous and innocent that you is so casual in your life and you let into your home and that all that of a, a sudden just it would just automatically loves too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's no, once you get your, your, yeah. your doll, like there's no, you know, there's not a week of like, I'll get used to this doll. Yeah. Children just, they love it right away. So that trust would be there as yeah. well. So that adds to a, to the horror. Yeah. So it's, it's this thing making insidiously making its way into your home under the guise of trust because your child <laughs> yeah. is inherently more trusting. Yeah. Um, and then immediately betraying that trust, uh, in pretty goddamn vicious ways. I mean, <laughs> when he's like slicing the cops, like calf with oh, the knife yeah. and everything, you're like, Oh, uh, and I mean, eventually when they gun him down, he's even bloody by the time they gun him down. Like the shot of him finally like shooting him in the heart. It's like, yeah, <laughs> just big old splatter of blood. And yeah. All over the wall and everywhere. stuff like that. Yeah. I love that too, though, is that they still have the weight of Chucky be like the, the, the same in that sense. So whenever he gets shot, he just flies. Like a <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that bit. Yeah. When they yeah. shoot him and he just like boom. just flies back. <laughs> it's, it's pretty comical in a way. Yeah. Again, he's, he's pretty, um, uh, physically outmatched again. Yeah, by yeah, a lot of absolutely. People. Again, I find that that's like where a lot of the creativity of the set piece comes from yeah. is just figuring out the logistics of this well, really tiny this weightless scary, doll. Right. And then, you know, he's, he has to figure, physically kill like grown people grown, yeah exactly you know who who weigh like 200 times what he weighs so. yeah <laughs> uh but i think maybe we'll enter the reductive uh rating on this one for me this one gets a pretty solid four um i i, I do think that the version that Mancini initially came up with sounds like it would be even more my speed. So I would even upgrade yeah. the film if that was the film that came out For sure. just because it seemed like even straight to the end, he had a very like thematic concern of the idea of um, um, children's advertising um, as a like home invasion, which is why eventually when this turns into like a home invasion slasher and you kind of get that vocabulary, like I think it would hit that home even harder if it just like maintained that theme a little harder. Yeah. But really it mostly is in the subtext of the film because the film is stripped down. Like it's like 90 minutes, right? Yeah. 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 Like it's like, I feel like they really just stripped this movie down. So all of that stuff is there and I think it works. Um, and they still made a good movie out of it, especially again for horror. The horror filmmaking here is pretty damn effective and the performances are, are good. I think that the mom and Andy both make this a pretty emotional affair. Um, even though, yeah. again, a lot of it still is mostly kind of like on the periphery or in the subtext of the film. But that is just kind of like what elevates something that might be more typical. Yeah. Um, so for me, this is like elevated by all of that into something that's, you know, pretty interesting. And I, I sit there and I do think about it. I sit there and I go, wow, not only is this like viscerally, physically terrifying, mm -hmm. I also think man, it's, 
pretty crazy how that thing made its way into its home just because the child watches television yeah. uh, in the first place. And I think back at all of the garbage shit that I probably <laughs> loved as a kid that I made my mom buy who probably couldn't afford it. And I was like, I just really And need- that you'd play with for like a week. And well, then, exactly. Like, toss, like right? there's definitely like a month of my life where I was super passionate about like Beyblades. And yeah. I look back at that now and I'm <laughs> like, why? A month though. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a month. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, why? Like why, why, why did I possibly think that at one point? Like that was going to lead me to, to the answers of life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that was like life or death situation yeah. was, you know, if I was kicking other children's ass at Beyblades or not. Um, and you look back at that now and you're like, why did my brain possibly come up with that? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and I think especially now we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit more as we angle into small soldiers. Mm-hmm. But like, I think this, it, this shit actually has just become more relevant. You know, that cynical fusion and blurring of like entertainment and advertising. Yeah. It, it, it really comes to a fold when we get into it in small soldiers, but it's really only become more prevalent with the rise of like, you know, people like Jake Paul or like, you know, yeah. YouTube personalities Jesus, yeah. out there who like, we're, basically they're, like we have channels now that are dedicated to just selling merch. Yes. That's like, there's no real content. It's just the content a is bit the of, advertising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I, I think that we really like, are there. <laughs> I think that that anxiety that this film comes from and really hammers home as horror. I think they were like, almost ahead of their time on how like horrifying that that really is. So again, I think the premise here in general of just envisioning children's toys and television and advertising and the way that that affects children and um, especially the way that it affects working class parents who don't have a lot of time to maybe pay attention to their children, how that becomes their kind of uh, their motivating outlet. And then to stage that as like a home invasion slasher movie, I think is just an amazing premise that they Mm -hmm. do pretty damn effectively. You know, even if I wish they would hit some of it a little harder, it's just like good movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Another one that did uh, that, I think one of the only other films that we've covered that did the kind of the advertisement as, as horror in a way was, uh, Halloween three did it a little bit too, right? Just kind of with that commercialization oh, yeah, right. and the yeah, masks right. that the kid have to get yes, and then season they end up of killing the witch. everybody. Yeah, 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 no, you're right. Where like the, the corporation is almost like brainwashing the children to buy these Halloween masks and then the it's Halloween kid- masks kill them yeah, basically. Yeah. So um, that was, uh, that, that was interesting to see again, just kind of that, that theme. But, uh, but yeah, I yeah, thought it was late eighties as well, I think too. So yep. yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so I, I thought this was great. Uh, it was, it was nice to, to rewatch and everything holds up. Uh, I was actually a little nervous at first because we I talked was, about, I, I was too. The, the yeah. first time I, I rewatched it li- earlier this year for another podcast. Um, but doing that rewatch, I was like, is this going to hold, like hold up now yeah. that I'm like, I've seen all the horror movies. Right. Exactly. And, and there was also, because we were talking about how they, they kind of wait to show you the, the more, the, the, the more advanced effects, mm-hmm. like the animatronics and things like that. I couldn't remember if it was good or not. Oh, so okay. I was like, You're are they not it. doing it because it's bad or are they, are they waiting? You know, are they saving it? And luckily they were saving it because they, 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 uh, they pace it out very well. Um, and it's a, it, yeah, it was a really very good believable. Choice. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, I mean, that's hard to take something, you know, it's a three foot tall doll. That's very difficult to make horrific. Well, do, and, you know, uh, do you know what visual effects artists talk about this a lot lately is the idea that 
when they were doing VFX back in the day, mm-hmm. because of limitations, they just had to get creative with the way that they used them and the way that they chose yeah. their shots. Like they just had to be really careful and to choose how they were going to frame a scene and how they were going to make it move and how, you know, to, to make the effect work. Right. And they say a lot of the problem now with VFX is that they don't have to do that. Like they, they kind of just rely on the effects. So, so, so a lot of the time they don't have to think about the shot very hard because they can just from scratch make the VFX go. Right. So um, a lot of VFX. So it just makes for like less interesting filmmaking. Exactly. Really. It's yeah. like it's like the actual limitation made them have to do more interesting things in the filmmaking that they might not have otherwise done. So yeah. that's this is just this is just a really like good David case. David Lynch in that. mentioned that yeah. as one of his uh, kind of um, techniques is that he would limit himself to certain things. He so does that he, he, he does would, a lot of in camera effects and yeah, stuff too. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I just thought this was a fantastic horror movie. Holds up, which was nice to see. Really was impressed with Andy's performance. Um, one of the better children Child, performances yeah. that I've seen. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I basically just agree with everything you said. I will say that I, I agree that, uh, especially that I would like to see the more psychological version of this film. Because mm-hmm. it also, that leads me to believe there's a lot more avenues they could go to with in regards to the ending, in regards to how they do character development, the way that they did it here, it kind of seemed like it was only going to lead to one place, which yeah. is really Chucky being killed so that they can move on with their lives. Yeah, it, it just kind of peters out a little bit, and yeah. you, you do wish that there was a little bit more there. And it's funny, when you go and watch the Child's Play sequels, they they really didn't get much of a chance to do that either. They kind of just were like... They, they went they, more they, in that satirical They road, figured yeah. out the formula. Well, even Child's Play 2 and 3, which haven't done like that like super meta thing at that point yet. That's true. Yeah. Um, like They still just kind of did the same movie over and over again like like they they kind of had to deal with the problem of we've already revealed chucky, chucky. yeah um because so, that's a big part of this so, film so, is so we, that, we can't spend half weight. the movie building him up right. and making you horrified of yeah. it because most of this film is it. kind of like you're latching on to see when the mom finally figures it out and when yeah. the detective figures it out and all well, that and they, so. they only have like one plot mission for him to do which is to get into a child's body right so like that's all he does and, for a and lot that's of for the next three films yeah so, so. It's, it's not until bride of chucky when they introduce tiffany and they realize that you know there could be a life as like two dolls yeah that things kind of actually get sort of interesting with the Chucky they movies. Get so crazy with like seed of <laughs> Chucky where they basically become humans so now they can reproduce. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I love this series though. Uh but anyway, um yeah, yeah I'm gonna give crazy. it a I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Um yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Sweet. Well that will wrap it up I think for child's play. We are gonna be right back and we are gonna be talking Joe Dante's small soldiers. Sweet the few we have met the enemy. He is big. He is fat. Gaia. The proud. He has revealed a weakness. Alan, please, you have to help. <laughs> Major Chip Hazard wants a war. We'll give him a war. The small. Who are you calling small? This summer. Babes at 12 o'clock. Join the commando elite. Gentlemen, those are reinforcements. Windows, attack! No mercy! Incoming! All soldiers. Command post to break bazooka. Report. It's just a flesh wound, sir. You have to be crazy not to be scared. All right, we are back and we are talking Small Soldiers, the 1998 uh, American 
um, vaguely like sci-fi war film, but for kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of like a Spielbergian domestic kids movie. Yeah, I definitely had like some Spielberg vibes in that regard. Well, I think Spielberg was originally tapped to direct this at one point. Oh, um, sort of, sort of. Uh, Joe Dante seemed like he was because we've talked about Joe Dante before. Our big yeah, Gremlins, Gremlins episode was on him, and the thing about Joe Dante is that he always seemed to like. He was friends with Spielberg, and every time Spielberg like dropped a project. Uh, he was like, Joe, Joe Dante was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm available. Yeah, I'm free. I'll do it. You know, whatever. Um, and what's interesting is that every time Joe Dante, like Spielberg would be interested and then Joe Dante would kind of do a bit of a satire on the Spielberg movie almost every single, single time he would do it because yeah. Joe Dante is just, uh, it's funny how different he is from Spielberg. Like he is just, um, he again came up drawing cartoons and he was very obsessed with Looney Tunes and he was a comic artist and like, yeah, he so, does seem much more of that like satirical realm than Spielberg. Exactly. Does. I mean, he loved like mad magazine. Like that yeah. was his thing. But it also seems like he still likes the family aspect. Yeah. You know, so, but he just pokes fun at it a little more. Yeah. Well, because I think he saw that Spielberg was doing like the American family unit kind of film. Yeah. And then he went into it and he was kind of like, I'm also interested in a lot of these themes of like the American family unit and a lot of, I mean, he also had, you know, political ideas and he had other kinds of ideas that he was interested in. Mm-hmm. And then he would really go into that and he would try and like bend it to his will, basically. I mean, we talked about how Gremlins took the uh, holiday spirit of Christmas and, you know, the fact that for a lot of people, it's actually a lonely or sadder time. Yeah. And he made, uh, you know, a a much grimmer uh, movie about people being kind of afraid of the other. And then there's also a scene in that film that involves the girl talking about, she doesn't like Christmas because her father dressed up as Santa and basically suffocated himself trying to come down the chimney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, so which like, of course Dante throws in his film or yeah. I guess whoever wrote it, but. but credit to Spielberg, apparently Dante, um, the studio didn't like that scene in Gremlins. <laughs> Not surprised. Um, but Spielberg actually did defend him and said, let him make the movie he's going to make. Like yeah. I, I'm because pro- he's producing the film. So he has a voice. Uh, so Spielberg would let Dante do whatever basically. And you I know, mean, that's a core part of her character in that film. So yes. I mean. It's really important. And, uh, and you know, a part of, a part of his, uh, of the theme of the film, which is, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, tackling this idea of, you know, maybe the American family isn't that great a lot of the time. You know, maybe they have strained relationships because of, I mean, his dad's a failing uh, part of a failing Inventor, business. I think. Yeah, yeah, which is also part of this film where his dad has a failing toy store. Yeah. You know, so he was he seemed like he was kind of just investigating the idea of, you know, what movies show the American nuclear family to look like. Happy go lucky. Yeah. Kind of and then yeah. what a lot of American families were actually going through, yeah, which really is, you know, with, right? yeah, you know, some parents had financial troubles. Some kids had a bit of a rebel streak in them, uh, yeah. which this kid does uh, um, in this film. Um, but largely the premise of this film anyway is that a company called Globotech. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> great, great stuff. Um, uh, they start introducing advanced battlefield technology into consumer products. Which is, just sounds like a great idea. Always. Sounds like a great idea. Um, <laughs> the funniest part about all of this, as I got to mention off the top, is that um, Joe Dante 
uh, ended up directing this and Spielberg left this to go and direct Saving Private Ryan. Oh, this, wow. And, and this is going to become interesting as we further talk about this because there's I, I read a great article by uh, the critic Jonathan Rosenbaum who directly compared those two movies back when they came out in 98 because they came out like back to back, like months apart oh, from okay. each other. Um, and the critical reception to Small Soldiers was largely negative and Private Ryan was like hugely positive. Really? Um, what was negative? Uh, um a lot of people just thought that it was like schmaltzy. Like they were like, oh, oh, whatever. Like it's basically just like a silly, crass uh, Toy Story ripoff is oh, kind of wow. what like a lot of people ended up thinking of the movie. Like they compared it negatively um, to that. Um, and it seemed like most of the people were just replying to kind of like the marketing of the film. Because the mm. marketing of the film, they did have like cross promotion with like Which is Burger so fascinating King to have yeah. uh, like because of what Joe Dante is talking about in this film. What well, with commercialization and stuff like that. And well, then yeah. I remember when this movie the toys came, out, came out. And yeah. I was like, even because of my stupid kid brain, right? I watched the movie. And then as I'm seeing the commercials, I'm like, well, they probably talk and walk at least a little bit. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I need to get every single one. I think I only had like one of them, but I remember, I specifically remember thinking that. Was it 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 Chip Hazard? um, No, I think it was uh, the big guy, the big Gorgonite. He, oh, okay. the big uh he, he talks like this oh like yeah. the like the hunchback one or yeah, whatever yeah yeah the, with the big round head uh, gotcha. and the one tooth snaggle tooth coming out gotcha i think that's the one i had yeah well it's funny when joe dante talks about this uh he mentioned that when he was initially hired to make the film they actually were okay with him making kind of like a a bit of an edgier aimed at teen version of the movie oh, okay. and it wasn't until like partway through development that they actually got the promotional deals and the toy deals and all of this and then they told oh. him yeah you should make a little bit closer to children and he basically said by that point it was too late so the reason <laughs> they the, this this does have seemingly more violence. adult themes and yeah. violence in it is because he was already making the movie by the time that they told that's told him he wanted that to make a, a more children-oriented film. When you also talk to uh, like people our age that yeah. watch Small Soldiers, a lot of them say how it actually used to scare them and how it's kind it, of traumatizing. And like I, I mean, I said it in our in our intro. This this film, as a, when I was a kid, yeah. for some reason, freaked me out more. I don't know why. It was just I think it was the idea of all of these things with little knives just well, coming. I mean, at I, me. I, I don't know, I don't know about you. I, I played with action figures a lot. Yeah, me too. So me too. again, the idea of these action figures coming to life and um, you know a- attacking you, even though it's still done in a PG context. Yeah, I think the way that he just frames this. Um, especially in the context of war mm-hmm. visual vocabulary. You also get to see the toys make their plans throughout the entire film, yeah. whereas with Chucky, there's like more of a mystery, right? It's, yeah. it, 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 it leads up to it, whereas this one is like straight off the bat, all right, gents, we got we to gotta get these Gorgonites and kill them and whatever, and then the humans come involved, so they start attacking the humans, and, you know, there's that. Well, so. I, I think that this, there's just a, there's a combination here of he's making what feels like kind of like a children's Spielberg domestic type story, yeah. but then he's infusing it with, like, what is the violence of war film <laughs> vocabulary. Yeah and, yeah, and And I think that your brain just naturally would separate those two things, but he forces them to combine each other. So for me, it's a case of like, it's kind of freaky um, watching a toy. You're like, Oh, it's cute. Like it's tiny, whatever. And then seeing it like pull out a blade and draw blood at one point from, from Alan in the sink or later on in the film, when they start actually strategically, you know, doing war operations. Um, and the violence just reminds you of other war films that are bloodier and more violent. Like, like yeah, eventually, eventually even, even, even when you see violence on the toys, 
like they've been humanized enough by the way that they move and the way that they right. like, you like know. when they get like, you know, cut in half or whatever, they're still going like Sarge, I'm going to be okay. Sarge. Like, yeah, all this like, kind of- and then they're putting his legs back on. He's like, <laughs> yeah, like you can tell that they feel uh, pain or at least they think that they feel pain and that's yeah. enough, you know, that's yeah. enough for you to have a reaction to well, it. Yeah. And that's like, that's genuinely freaky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. When you think about it. Um, and yeah. And, and then I, I think that um, we were talking about a little bit that, you know, we wish child's pay went a little bit deeper into some of like the actual themes of, of, of this. And I think that that's exactly mm-hmm. what small soldiers does here. I think yeah, that this I is agree. a film actually about selling war to, to young boys. Yeah. Um, and it's even like Dennis, I think it's Dennis, Dennis Leary, Leary actually. again. Uh, yeah. This is like the third or fourth time we talked about <laughs> Dennis Leary. It's just out of nowhere. Because uh, he plays the Globotech, uh, the CEO, and he has this great line when he's when he's in the, the pitch meeting. And he says, uh, he says uh, cha- change it, change the word violence to action. Kids love action. Yeah, you know? So exactly. it's like they know what they're doing. You know? well, they yeah, know because, what they're because selling. Because the whole premise kids. of these toys was that they were launching a new toy line. And that the one guy um, came up with a, you know, a, a, a line of these sort of like sweet, innocent monsters who have gotten lost and the children are meant to play with them by helping them find their homeland. Like welcoming yeah. someone in who you don't know and just being like, I'm going to help you figure out your life. And the kids are supposed to do research. They're supposed to learn. They're supposed to like read up on where these characters came from and what their abilities are. And the yeah, Dennis Leary's like. Did you just say learn? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking cancel that. What's next? Uh, so he immediately introduces the commando elite, which are basically just like these uh, cartoon versions of the American military, which, yeah, by the way, so I don't know if you noticed, um, voiced Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee as Chip yeah. Hazard is the main one, but uh, and, and and Tommy Lee, of course, pulling from like American action dad movies. Basically, oh, is there another cool voice that I might? The know? other voices, the rest of them, all voiced by actors from the Dirty Dozen. Really? Yep, all of them. The the one we just watched. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's sick. Yep. Holy shit. Jim Brown, who we talked about because he was on Running Man last week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was the pro football player turned actor. Okay. He, yeah. He is also the African American guy from Dirty Dozen, Dude. and he is the voice of the toy here as That's well. That's so cool. Because Joe Dante, I think originally he wanted uh, another. He wanted the cast from Predator because that okay. because those guys were <laughs> supposed they were they were supposed <laughs> to be like the macho American military dudes. <laughs> Imagine if Arnie voiced. That's what he wanted. <laughs> I would have fived the movie. Yeah. So he eventually, he, he, he oh. reverted to Dirty Dozen instead, which is just like such a cutting critique of, again, just like the, also the war movie. Because yeah. to him, he's saying, uh, suggesting anyway, that the, the war movie has a part to play, or at least the way that, you know, not, it's not saying like all war movies are inherently like pro war movies or anything, but he's, right, right. he's just indicting the idea of that some people watch war movies just for, for entertainment yeah, yeah yeah well and they introduce that dad character in the middle of the film who's setting up his home system and he's setting up all of you know he's just watching this war movie and he has the line where he's like i think world war ii was my favorite, favorite war. war and i'm like your I've favorite heard, fucking war are you kidding that? me i'm not fucking with you i've heard people people say that. died so many people yeah, died. yeah. 
Now, obviously, when those people said that to me, I don't think they were like, yeah, no. I love that millions of people died. But just that idea is very odd. Right. Well, yeah. And, and, and I think that's what I don't think Joe Dante is saying that. Either. No, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think what he's getting on is just the, the way that <laughs> so war funny, has been invited into culture as something that is like it's just action. It's cool. Right. Yeah. Um, it's another story. You it, know, it's just exactly something to latch on. To. And that's part of the premise here when yeah. he introduces the commando elite who, you know, they were like, they're just the guys who go out and kill things. That's their yeah. job. Um, and they they assume the best touch of this whole thing is that the commando elites like literally because <laughs> because Dennis Leary is like, yeah, so the, we, you know, we got the American good guys and then we got the fucking freaky monsters that they vaporized. Yeah, done. done. Uh, <laughs> now go and we have a franchise. Yeah, go go and sell these toys. <laughs> And because they have just been bought by the parent company, which is a military-grade company um, that sells literal weapons, so now the company that is selling weapons to um it's implied also not just to the american side but also to rebel groups and stuff yeah uh that they're yeah. dealing on both sides um they are now selling children's toys and they literally put military grade microprocessor chips into the toys so that they, they can, can walk and talk they can and walk and talk interact and they can do you. great things yeah, yeah exactly just fun just good old times just a good time yeah <laughs> but the chips are so advanced that the uh they latch they <laughs> latch on they end up being munition chips too so it's like yes. specifically designed to be violent like it's like yes. they're yeah they were chips meant to <laughs> target um for for missile targeting right <laughs> exactly um that they were and and that they were yeah. meant to be um yeah they're like it's not artificial intelligence it's actual intelligence the chip was designed to like learn where it was supposed to go and then like find its own route there so it's supposed right. to it's supposed to it's creative also yeah. so they put them into the programming of the dolls and the dolls programming is on one side to just completely eliminate the monster characters by any means necessary yeah. and the other ones are supposed to be the pacifists they just like nice just little guys and, and try not to get killed and, and they're just seeking their homeland yeah um and the chips obviously exacerbate both of those missions. Isn't it kind of odd, too, though, how when they're writing the programming, they still made the Gorgonites, like, passive? Yeah. Like, they were like, even even with his CEO brain, he yeah. was like, let's still have these guys hunt down and passive enemies that, that aren't doing anything other than right. trying to find their own home. Right, so like, like, the, like, like the monsters fuck. are literally not doing anything and the American <laughs> and military is literally predatory. <laughs> yeah. Like, just hunt them down and murder them yeah. viciously, basically. They're just not like, meant to be here, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Joe Dante is like, at this point, there's no subtlety about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. because, uh, but, but watching chilled, like the little American army military toys like literally assume actual military tactics mm -hmm. is what freaks me out yeah. um because there's a part or even when they get creative like when he walks in on the sink scene oh, and yeah. they have the thing tied up like <laughs> like above the sink lowering into the 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 sink uh yeah the garbage chopper, disposal the or yeah, yeah the garbage disposal and you're like that took creativity you know oh, yeah. that took thought to, to yeah. not just kill the they thing. They were literally but to stringing lower it. him up like a pig and yeah. dropping him into <laughs> and pulling him into the thing. Like that's elaborate. That's some Doctor Evil shit right there. Like like in another context, you're just watching like a snuff video from <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. But it's toys. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's genuinely like and, I, and and Joe Dante is like aware of all of this. And again, the way that he has just these action figures like literally ingest the brutal policies and tactics of the military. Mm. And I love. 
love the line too, where the one guy's like, how could they be dangerous? Everything on them is like standardized, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, but one of the standard products was like literal munitions grade yeah. <laughs> uh, <So>. devices. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so just, you know, another thing with the violence is even that, that same sink scene is where, uh, I think his name's Alan. The kid's name's yeah. Alan, right? Uh, yeah. Alan, he takes one of the, the soldiers and he puts them, puts him in the sink and turns that blade on and that soldier oh. ends up dying. Yeah. Like legitimately dying. And they have a, a well, ceremony yeah, I, I, for I, I, it. Yeah. I think he and, crawls and, his way out. Yeah, but yeah. And until what's interesting too, is until that point, it's only the Gorgonites versus the military. Yeah. And that's what sets the military off to be like, all right, well fuck humans too. You just killed one of my soldiers. Well, yeah, because obviously they're like, uh, they're helping my enemy. So therefore right. we they are, are also going to yeah. take them on as well. So it's just such a progression. That's very interesting. Well, And they're watch. always, and they're always going like, no mercy. Like we're going to, kill them all gorgonite yeah. scum like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh no surrender and there's there's also a great scene in this too where the archer the head gorgonite toy or voiced by i think it's um frank langella he is also scrolling through uh human history at one point on the computer mm-hmm. and he sees like lincoln and then he sees like lyndon b johnson and kennedy and then he hits Vietnam and Hiroshima yeah. and, you know, uh, Hitler and World War II and everything. Um, so, again, it's almost like the toys are learning from our own actions. Yeah. So Joe Dante Which might not be the best thing. <laughs> no, it's like Joe Dante is skewering the idea that, like, we have taken real human violence and then commodified it into, you know, something fun and cool in the form of action. Yeah. And then watching how scary it is when we program our, you know, our toys and have something, again, similarly to Child's Play, and that's why these pair well together, something insidious makes its way into the American home. Right. You know, that's supposed to be innocent. As all well. of those things that are happening around the globe that the military is doing have found their way home. And then all of a sudden we're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this we is, want that other in other places. Yeah, not this, here. Not here. <laughs> this is terrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <And> even tiny. <laughs> yeah. They only have little knives and I'm scared as hell. Well, and there, there's one amazing <laughs> joke where they play um, shit. I can't remember. I think they play Spice Girls, right? Yeah, they, they, they call blend. it psychological torture. Yeah, they call it psychological <laughs> warfare. But 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 no joke. Um, I can't remember exactly who it is that they they reference in that one. But um, that is actually at the time a real military tactic where they would go into places and they would blast obnoxious music, whether they wanted it to be like death metal music or whether right. they wanted it to be like just really um, like corny pop music or yeah. whatever. And the they pop would li- music would have got me. The death metal would have been you like, been lock like, and load, yeah. let's fucking do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the 80s and 90s, this was a real military tactic was crazy. to torture people with music. Um, I mean, they would eventually oh, do that to actual like torturing just individual people like where yeah. they would like just put the headphones well on. yeah so, so so they couldn't sleep so they would just right. you know every you know something like 90 seconds it would just like blast them with 10 seconds of death metal. boys and then back at it yeah yeah <laughs> oh, so god so the fact that these toys are again just like taking real military american tactics and then applying yeah. them and using them in this really tiny cutesy context where you're like oh like it's actually kind of like <laughs> yeah. like again the, the, the it's interesting to see them apply it right and, and, it, and it just it on fu- a small scale it fucks with your brain because you're sitting there and going oh it's like it's kind of cute like it's clever like it's yeah it, like yeah. It's, it, it's cool 
watching these little tiny things ride the little cars over the lawns. You're like, oh, that's just nice. And then you watch them draw blood or you watch them do something that's genuinely viscerally horrifying. And you're like, oh, (laughs) uh, oh, never mind. This is a real deal children's movie. That's the difference between this and Child's Play is that like he this was actually marketed and seen by children, whereas Child's Play was an R rated movie for parents. Right. Um, So, again, I think that's probably why like the the violence it shows the yeah. violence that's implied is is kind of almost the same it's pretty it, like, goddamn so similar it's it's like it's just this time you're seeing more toys get dismembered you, than humans yeah which is why i assume is why it was probably scarier for you because i yeah, think you i think you were, yeah. you were watching a movie that otherwise should wouldn't be an adult movie in a sense well yeah you i think you were, the aesthetic i wasn't. think you were just watching a movie that the vocabulary made sense you were like yeah this is a kid's movie this looks like other kids yeah movies. there's a kid right there and he's on an adventure and it's yeah. all there you know he's yeah. got a family and, and otherwise this looks like other kids movies that i've seen before exactly, and then joe yeah. dante just really brings it um yeah and again the way that he so easily switches between modes from like shots moving through a domestic household to then all of a sudden using the flight of the Valkyries cue and having Tommy Lee Jones's little toy doll rush in on the helicopter straight out of apocalypse now. Yeah. Like yeah. he's referencing apocalypse now in a children's movie. <laughs> right. Like what the fuck dude? Yeah. And I also <laughs> love, love the, the, the needle drop of when they crash through the garage yeah. and war comes on. Oh yeah. Whatever. Whoa. <laughs> good God. You know, like, it's such, and, and once again, it mixes that thing because at this point, you know that these military guys are just after blood, you know, yeah. but yet they, they, they crash through the garage, the ward needle drop happens and you get this kind of fun sense again. Oh, where you're yeah, like, no, I'm, I'm having a great time, but everyone's in danger. <laughs> well, yeah, no, totally. It's it's so disarming again when, when you when he pulls back and he shows you just like a wide shot of just something like this little intricately detailed vehicle that a little toy made up, and you're like, oh, that's that's like that's funny. Like yeah, that's just uh, again exactly. same the same way that like um child's play is kind of funny in that sense. Like right. in- inherently, this is a funny idea seeing something like this on a small scale. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Um, but yeah, then again, as the violence escalates, um, you're it, there's it's just it's it becomes almost surreal is what mm-hmm. I kind of felt like, um, because both we've talked about, the, you know, the violence that's done to the toys and then eventually the toys are like firing those little like corn cobs or like taking <laughs> real household blades. Like, yeah, at like one point, saws. Ro- yep. Uh, yeah. Chainsaws and lawnmowers. And launching them at them. Like, oh, yeah. They're ready to kill. <laughs> like it's freaky. But then there's also a scene, for example, um, which, which again has its own kind of like surreal horror to it, where they bring the Barbies back to life. Oh my God. Kirsten Dunst is the girl next door in this movie. Um, and she has a bunch of Barbies. And at one point, the uh, commando elite like literally Frankenstein them to life. Yeah. Um, and I love this sequence too because they do the whole like Frankenstein, it's alive thing. And yep. then they cut to the and monster that is like the Frankenstein monster or yep. the Gorgonite watching Frankenstein. And he says something like, I feel you, man. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. That's such a, a good sequence of events. Very well thought out. Well, yeah. And uh, he literally, for the uh, reanimation scene of the Barbies, he literally stole the music from Bride of Frankenstein. When oh, they he make did. the Bride That's of Frankenstein. Cool. Very cool. Um, and I, and the, the one they're watching on TV is one of the creature features from back in the day. I, I don't think it's Frankenstein. It has the one oh. with the one eye. Because it's the little one-eyed monster, remember? Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He's the one watching the TV. And he's just like, hey, it's like your buddy. And the guy with the one one eye is just looking and he's just like, wow, someone else has like one eye out there. Okay, like he yeah. feels less lonely <laughs> yeah, yeah. watching that, I which is just funny sequence. because that's what old monster movies were like too. Like Bride of Frankenstein, um, 
Yeah, they most they dealt with that kind of thing, right? It's, Loneliness. It, and- yeah, it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time, specifically because it takes the Frankenstein story, mm. and it's just like Frankenstein is like a very inherently lonely character. And yeah, I mean, yeah. part of the original Frankenstein story is that he's a you know uh, our Frankenstein's monster. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know there's gonna be somebody, someone out there. He he's he's ostracized um, as as the monster, and he has no idea why what he's doing there, or you know what any what any of this right. does. He and he accidentally kills someone and that's why everyone goes after him and he has no idea that he's done that like he was just trying to be friendly mm-hmm. um and the bride of frankenstein takes that loneliness and it's like what if he like really yearned for like a partner so he brings the bride to life like they they have someone for him and it takes up all the way till the end of the movie before they bring the bride to life the whole movie is just about how lonely frankenstein is oh, so it's literally like frankenstein waiting for, for a love like yes wow well and here's the thing they, br- cool. they bring her to life and it's horrifying. Like she's screaming. She hates it. She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't like him because she's just like, why have I been born? Like, like what it even like, is? This? Like she what has. She has the same experience that he did. Where right. he, he but, sees, but she didn't get a movie to yes, to get used to. Life. Exactly. So he <laughs> sees her as like his out for that loneliness, and yeah. she sees him as like like the person who brought her into this terrible existence right, and right. hates him. Um, and it's a really, really sad, uh, thing that happens in that movie. Um, and so again, the way that Joe Dante, who clearly has an affection for monster movies mm. and for kind of like the lonely guys, the outsiders, you yeah. know, he's taken that to be like, here's my lonely monster toys. And, you know, and they're, they just want to hide and find a home. And here they are being like actively pursued down using real military tactics yeah. <laughs> uh, used throughout the world. Uh, so. Uh, or moment rather with with the Gorgonites is when Alan is telling them like what keeps going beyond each each little section like they're like what's that there they're like that's the road and they're like what's beyond the road and they're like the highway what's beyond the highway <laughs> the countryside what's beyond the countryside and then Alan finally gets to the point where he's like I don't know and then they go Gorgon because <laughs> like yeah. they're like they're they have so, hope yeah, yeah they're so determined to get home that they're like well what's past that What's past that? Oh, you don't know? Yeah. It's Gorgon. There's like an opti- <laughs> there's like that. there's like an optimism there. Yeah, they, you know? they constantly have this optimistic uh, trait about them, even when they're going through absolute hell and constantly being hunted down. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I also Very love charming. that. Um, as with every Joe Dante movie, uh, Dick Miller is in this movie. Dick Miller uh, recently passed away. He's the guy who plays the um, um, the truck driver. Oh, okay. He's basically, he was in Gremlins too. He's, yeah. he's like the old he neighbor guy. Yeah. He's like the old neighbor guy who was funny because in Gremlins, he's supposed to be like the xenophobic neighbor too, where he's just like right, fucking right. Chinese cars get yeah. into my yeah. homeland or whatever. Um, and in, in, in this one, I just, I always like seeing Dick Miller cause he was just such like a warm charismatic presence. And Joe Dante always puts him in like, kind of like the older, the lovable man of, yeah, next yeah. door who just he you know he he he's he's always playing like the working class guy next door and in this movie he actually helps the kid out by giving him the military toys which his dad refuses to sell because his dad believes in the idea that kids should not be playing with with war toys yeah, that, and uh, he nailed it yeah he ended up being right <laughs> on that front yeah. that's for sure listen to your dad <laughs> alan come on <laughs> um and yeah, that's basically how the whole whole movie kind of um, un- unfolds is that those those war toys end up unleashing hell uh, all over the suburb. 
Um, And I mean, the big climax where like they're literally riding entire vehicles and like shooting uh, like spiked things at people. (laughs) And uh, I mean, there's a whole set piece on top of the the wiring and stuff, too. And there's a bit where Kirsten Dunst. That's one of that moments where the you actually see the soldier stab. Yeah, Chip Hazard is like stabbing him in the hand. Yeah, yeah. it has this very just the sharp pain that it gives you. Yeah, well, no, it's really creepy because, I mean, earlier in the kitchen sink one, too, they take, like, that spinning blade to his hand. Right. And, again, just watching them, like, actually cut into a child. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, right. it's actual violence against children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or, and another uh, sequence that got me, and it's the military guys being destroyed, but yet it's still kind of... The lawnmower. The, the lawnmower, yeah, yeah. Because afterwards, you see them all just... just everywhere on the lawn and they're and they're like some of them are in pain and they're like yelling and all this and you're just like jesus this is this really is war right now (laughs) yeah well because again and again i think that that's just you're watching toys get killed so you're just like you wouldn't think that 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 would bring it out and you come out but yeah no I, i think that that is our knowledge of just war movies right right uh, acting there because I mean there's so many references here I mean he's got the dirty dozen already he's got apocalypse now but he also does that bit where they all look at the Barbies and before reanimating them they go a little bit of R&R sir which is like straight out of casualties of war <laughs> yep. uh, so here yeah. I am thinking about a movie about like brutal rape uh, <laughs> yeah. in a children's movie <laughs> I didn't and, uh, laugh. <laughs> it's just the correlation between that and small soldiers is is pretty funny yeah and, I, and again I think that that's just a really intelligent idea that he actually explores through filmmaking yeah that it's just he takes children's filmmaking he takes war filmmaking and he combines you in a way that makes you think about it because you don't really think about a lot of time when you watch war films is you know what is the larger like cultural context of a war film there's a lot of great war films out there a lot of war films that tackle the, the the pain and violence of it and you know the historical context of it in certain ways like casualties of war i mean we've right. done war movies before and we will be doing them again yeah, uh, yep. in one week's time actually yep. um but um i do think that his critique here of for example uh, again i'm going to return to jonathan rosenbaum's piece on saving private ryan versus small soldiers and what he pointed out was that saving private ryan actually went on even though it was a movie that was supposed to be like war is hell kind of yeah. deal yeah its lasting cultural legacy was to be like a dad movie that you watch on a Sunday and you're like great actors with, you know, do being men, doing the job, yeah. getting the things getting done, done, persevering. Right. Um, it's a movie that begins and ends with them like raising the flag up, you know, stuff right. like that. So it's just like he's uh, so Jonathan Rosenbaum kind of went on a whole detailed thing on how like that movie is the kind of movie that Joe Dante is kind of satirizing when he does this, where he makes you think, and it's it's like it's not he's not saying Private Private Ryan is a garbage movie or anything. It's just that <laughs> better not be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that uh, you know a lot of the way that we introduce war films into the way that we consume pop culture is in a way where we don't think about the violence that much and that this is a movie designed to make you think about the violence without actually even having a lot of it in there. So it's just like, it's a really effectively made critique of other people's filmmaking at the same time, Hmm. as well as just being, you know, on itself an entertaining comedy and action movie. Yeah. Uh, So it still has all the like campy, 
qualities that that are fun in a in a more oh, I, family or well, and i mean film. joe dante again as a satirist he's just a naturally funny guy the yeah, same the way gremlins when, had a bunch of it too the right? gremlins had so many so you know despite the fact that you know that second gremlins is really politically heavy it's just like a complete cartoon Looney yeah, Tunes craziness crazy yeah, yeah like very it's, it's jokes per minute in that movie is absolutely <laughs> insane uh and there's there's one here that i really loved where the mom who is like a tennis person when they start firing oh, yeah. the, they, again they're lighting the tennis balls on fire and launching them into the house to try to light the house on fire yeah which is horrifying it's just crazy well yeah and the mom pulls out the tennis racket and starts hitting the back <laughs> hitting at them, them back. And, and, yeah and the dolls start lighting on fire and stuff like that and the do- and the dad's just like uh, keep on working on that backhand or whatever right. he's and, the, and that, that's again just another example of that mix between like kind of funny because you're watching a Humorous, mom for sure you know, yeah. taking that tennis ball but you're also watching a fiery tennis ball attempting to take down the entire house. Yeah. So take take down the suburb and, and, and then watching it used on the toys, which you are <laughs> yeah. still humanizing as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, I never realized how complicated this film really was. Yeah. Well, and, it came and, to the and just how tune, how in tune it is with the way that he's just like actually done the filmmaking. Yeah. Like yeah. again, balance as well. a lot of, even though there is a lot of like, you know, not subtext theme stuff going on here and yeah. just the premise of the movie, the way that they, you know, talk about putting the military grade chips into the toys and everything by the time we hit the the final stuff like all of these themes are just in the images at that point yeah um because really he's just making you know um a a very literal story of these this family fighting off an invasion of toys um and that is fun even when you're not thinking about the themes but the themes are so like infused into it that like you can't like they're there like that's what the whole movie ends up being about yeah um Again, it's kind of like our the way that we talk about when it's our favorite way to do it is that it comes up with these ideas and makes you think about these things without having to say it. It's just like your brain naturally goes, why do I feel sad that like these little army toys are like on fire and screaming? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and once they even have lines where they're kind of like, uh, you know, you realize that they've also just been Joe Dante's a fucking genius. Oh, yeah, he's unreal. Uh, you realize that these things have also just been programmed to do that by us. Yep. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, yep. this isn't the toy's fault. This is, yep. this is their, this is what they do. This is their life. You know, this is all they Well, know. no, exactly. It's, it's, it's literally been modeled after a military weapons <laughs> yeah. company. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's values have just been projected into the toys. Right. <laughs> Which is just, yeah, it's, it's pretty rewarding to watch And overall. then I also love how just to like, to, to wrap a, wrap up kind of how they they connect the the beginning with the ceo and how they have the how he deals with the aftermath oh he the just ending gets oh out of the God. helicopter Amazing. and starts paying people off to <laughs> shut their mouths and he's so rich that everybody looks at the paycheck and just goes all right I guess we're moving on with our lives. Yeah, this is enough for me. Well, and yeah. I just love that they were like, "Yeah, this is this is kind of a you know, uh, uh, painting a picture of what happens in real life." Really, you know, the, this violence and destruction happens, and then money Everybody forgets can make about it, it go away. Yeah, you know, so it's just, and then the added addition of. All right, well, we'll keep the toys. Just add a couple zeros on them and we'll make them military weapons. Yep. And you're just like, that's all it takes. That's the difference. That, yep. The difference a is zeros. a couple zeros. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, the ending Loved to this is, it is quite amazing because yeah. everyone is basically being like, what are you going to do to make me forget this? Think I'm going to forget this? Just check, <laughs> check. check. And he's check. like, whoa, just, all right, sweet. Just rolling them Yeah, out. it sounds good. Yeah, well, oh, because... 
again, all of this violence was happening uh, in real world contexts around the world. Yeah. And uh, none of these people cared. They were very cool just watching the war movie at home and being like, sick. Yeah. <laughs> I love this shit. It's so good. America, um, baby. We love it. Uh, and then all of a sudden they see it on a really tiny scale and they're like, that's fucking horrifying yeah, and scary as shit. <laughs> and then immediately money just makes them uh, for, for forget about I'll put all up of with it. it again. But yeah, and and what and not only does he say that he's gonna uh, make the toys military, uh, he says the line, "I know some rebels in South America who are going to find these toys very entertaining," yeah. which could mean one of two things. Uh, one, it just means that he is going to use them to go and fight, you know, like Latin American wars. Yeah. Um, which is like horrifying in and of itself. Or two, he's, he's them selling to like, them to, to like terrorism or yeah, terrorists or whatever. Like two rebel groups. Like, yeah. he's, like he's arming rebel groups to do coups, which is what America historically has done in Latin America. Yeah. So then it, then you're getting into a case of, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's one line. Yeah. It's just a throwaway. Yeah. It's just the end of the movie. Yeah. It's just like. I I oh, also yeah, love another, it's a great, Dennis really has a fantastic final scene where he just wraps it up so neatly, um, where he looks at all the destruction before he gets back into his fucking Globotech helicopter, and he just goes, it's a shame, this would have made a great commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amazing. Dante, baby. Amazing. So good. Did Dante write this, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I love you, Dante. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's so funny. He's unbelievable. Oh, I'm looking funny. at it now, and maybe he didn't write this one. Oh no. Oh wait, hold on. I'm looking up. But he he worked on a producer as a lot of his stuff. I think yeah. too. So maybe I'm we sure shouldn't maybe we shouldn't be giving Dante stuff. all the credit here. But regardless, whoever wrote it, direct. It's all good. It's, oh yeah, it's fucking absolutely. Fantastic. I mean, I mean, it does fit in Dante's wheelhouse. This is oh, very yeah. similar satirical it attitude me that Gremlins, Gremlins did. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we did a whole episode way back on Gremlins and Gremlins Two, which is still our biggest episode that we've done. A yeah. lot of people really like that episode. So. Yeah. Um, and we talked a lot about, you know, the, um, you know, again, how Dante was just a really expert satirist and comedian who found really deep themes into what are otherwise children's stories and found filmmaking ways to get it in there. So, uh, this is just another example of that. Uh, the fact though, that, um, small soldiers is like, was like pretty much like critically hated and I still can't believe that. and still even now. Um, people seem to like like a 2.9 on letterbox or something. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So they're all wrong. People, (laughs) people give it like the pity three. Like it's fun. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, no, this is unbelievable. It's so good. This is so good. It's so fun too. He found a way of throwing all of these very mature, uh, themes at you in this extremely fun kids movie like th- yeah. that balance is hard well to, i remember watching this on a, as a kid on vhs and i i honestly did expect like what i thought would be like a you know maybe like a like an et meets t- toy story kind yeah. of thing and i watched yeah. toy story all the time i yeah, had a woody doll like i love toy story and you know instead i found myself traumatized by what is <laughs> what is like genuinely i think one of the most like uh insidiously and sharply written satires on children's films and war films and war, yeah. yeah that i've like genuinely ever ever seen it's it's what was really cool is is when i watched it as a kid i didn't know why it scared me yeah and now, now you know. i know why it scares me and that's that's just fascinating and i i had a quite a trip with this rewatch yeah so i mean i guess we'll probably enter the reductive rating round on this one for me this is a pretty high high four mm-hmm. uh, i gotta say joe dante uh the absolute 
legend. You gotta love him. He's so interesting, and every yeah. time every time he tackles one of these movies, he always finds really interesting themes to to fit in. Again, we didn't we haven't talked about it yet, but Tom Hanks in the Burbs as well, mm. which is like I his seen that. his version of like a Hitchcock. Um, oh, cool. Uh, like rear window type thing, like the neighbors spying. Dante doing that. That'd be cool. Yeah, well, because Tom Hanks is, keeps spying on his neighbors and he keeps like not like doing anything else. And uh, he thinks that he's found himself in like a conspiracy where like his neighbor, neighbors might be like murderous cannibals, basically. Okay. And it, it, it just wrestles with the desire of looking at someone who's just moved in, looking at an outsider and and like and almost wanting adventure in some way, or? almost wanting them to be killers so that he could return Figure his town back and... to normalcy because, and mostly because yeah. he's bored again, it's very rear window in that sense yeah. where it's just like the guy looking to dream up entertainment for himself in a way that, you know, uh, reaffirms what he already believes, which is that these weirdos keep moving into my suburb and I want right. it to stay the same. I want to keep the status quo the same. Yeah. Um, uh, so again, Dante just always seemed interested. I mean, he seems himself like a bit of a weird guy, so it's very <laughs> possible. He just, he identified with, you know, weird people and outsiders yeah. and he always finds ways to explore that in his films. And I think that this is one of his better, uh, most, I think viscerally effective versions of it. I mean, like I love, um, Gremlins 2 is probably still my favorite Dante film just yeah. because that one is like I'm gonna call it's it just like balls to the wall. it's just galaxy brain Dante like yeah. he, like he, he had no he, barriers he, he got no? full carte blanche to do whatever the fuck he wanted on yeah. that one so exactly um, and this one he is still kind of collaborating with the fact that again they had to do Burger King cross promotions for this movie yeah. and again that's why I think everyone saw it as like a crass corporate product was Which because is so interesting because the entire time he's he's poking at that. This like is one. This is such a cutting film of corporate that. products right. yeah. and being like the relationship that corporations have with our military and how horrifying that is. Like literally, this yeah. is an indictment of the military industrial complex in a children's film. Right. If anything, like that's an insane accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and the, and the and way to still make it fun. <laughs> yeah, and for this to just be a genuinely funny movie, like watching yeah. little Tommy Lee Jones stand in front of like the puzzle piece American flag, giving like <laughs> little little war speeches and stuff yeah. like that. It's and so they, cute. even I love the so scene cute. where they give like each character's name and kind of personality. I'm the demolitions expert. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's well, great. it's funny, and we'll we'll talk about it next week when we're going to be doing war films here. But like he directly ripped that from the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, this gets a pretty high four for basically everything that we've said. We don't need to reiterate a, I mean, a, a whole lot of this. I think this is just like a really entertaining, viscerally effective film that mm. is both uh, critiquing children's films and war films, and like at large, the military and corporations and how all of those cultures bleed together in the American lifestyle. Yeah. So. God damn, dude. God yeah, damn. Like that's so... That's so... That's, insane. that's an in, insane to think only about. Only Dante, baby. Yeah. Only Dante. So again, if you haven't seen this film in a long time, and or maybe you've only ever heard of it in the context of people you know have said they don't like it, I would highly recommend just watching this highly, film for yourself. Highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the, it's, it's incredibly well done. People um, need to go to bat for this a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, it seems that the review itself of what most people were saying is kind of wrong. I yeah. mean, I get that they did end up doing a lot of commercialization. They had toys, they yeah. had promotion. They, they did get my ass to buy one and all yeah. that, but it, it's, if, if anything, that should have just got you to itself, think more about it. Yeah, yeah. The movie itself is at least tackling those things. Yeah. And I mean, 
was Dante going to be able to escape the inevitability of commercialization of his movie, movie. about action yeah. figures? I no. mean, obviously, toy companies were going to be like, we need toys. You know, like, it's mm-hmm. just, it sucks, but that's that's the reality. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a four as well. I don't really have too much to add. Uh, I feel like we, we've made the points here. Dante is a fucking genius. Yeah. Uh, his, his mix, his ability to mix these very adult themes, but but hide it in this kid aesthetic is yeah. is really or, really or just behind movie cliches, impressive. you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, stuff like Spielberg movies and like, right stuff you know. that he knows that you know. Yeah, and then he's kind of playing off of yeah. that, and uh, that's very impressive. Um, and yeah, I, I also like to just say that the uh, the effects work was really oh, well yeah. done. I, yeah. I I didn't think it was going to be as seamless this time as it was, but when they is it CGI that they do well, at he, certain points? Uh, they they attempted to do it, I think, mostly with puppeteering. Oh so, wow, okay. Um, so it is. But but uh, there is quite a bit of CGI enhancement of the puppeteering. Oh, okay, um, that makes sense. So, so they eventually went. In, a lot of the Commando Elite stuff was eventually pup, um, CGI'd, uh, but a lot of the, you'll see a lot of the Gorgonites. They do just look like action figures. Yeah, but it's because they are required to do less crazy things. Yeah, they're not doing as much uh, heavy action oriented. Yeah, stuff, and the so. ones that are like the guy who like jumps around and spins around and stuff, like he's CG. But, yeah. but a lot of the Commando elites are CG because they were uh, they, again they had to recreate like war movie set pieces basically, and there are a lot of right. set pieces in this movie. Yeah, like of tons. them, uh, the, the bit where they all join into the giant vehicle and chase them on the bikes across the town, uh, <laughs> yeah. and the way that he films it, like it's genuinely like a car chase sequence. Yeah. And then they fly over and the toys land in to the ditch and explode. And I love the scaling too, because yeah. it shows him riding his bike and then this little toy just hanging on by a rope trying <laughs> yeah. to get to the bike. <laughs> it's great comedy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Um, I got to dive into some more Dante because I have loved Gremlins. I've loved this. I haven't seen The Burbs, so maybe that's the next one I'll knock Yeah, The Burbs the I think is his next biggest one. Yeah. Um, but his other one I find the most thematically interesting is actually Matinee, which I talked briefly oh, about yeah. on... Um, the, uh, yeah, the Gremlins episode, and I brought it up also on the, the Tingler episode. Uh, John that we Goodman's did. in Matt. Yeah, John right? Goodman. Yeah, because John Goodman like literally plays like a traveling film showman type person who tried to do that like 4D experience, like that Tingler. Oh, where we watch okay, the Tingler, yeah. where the Tingler is set loose in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but he he does it in a way where he is trying, and it, it's Joe Dante's like love. Um, um, he, he infuses his love of movies into it where this showman tries to recreate an actual nuclear apocalypse in his theater. Like he makes all of the people in the theater basically think that war has happened. <laughs> and then it, when everyone comes out, like they're all going into the bomb shelters and stuff like that. And everyone comes out and they have like this moment of catharsis where they're like, Oh, it's not happening. But like all of the jets are like coming, flying over top and stuff like that. And Holy like, it's shit. like, Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, so the way that, again, that he he infuses showmanship and movies and corporations and military all together, Matinee also really does that as well, um, which came out uh, just a few years before Small Soldiers. So clearly that was his headspace. Yeah, he just has a fascination with those uh, those two things, it seems. Yeah, I think, he, I, I think he just saw, like, a serious contradiction there yeah, in, in, in yeah. American culture, and he wanted to use his movies to, you know, kind of get at it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so again, yeah, we'll both highly recommend Small Soldiers yes, here. Yes, rewatch it. Um, that will wrap it up, I think, for this week. Uh, that was, shit, what was it? What were we just talking about? (laughs) (laughs) We were talking Child's Play, 1988, and 10 years later, later, Small Soldiers, 1998. I think in 
one week's time, as we've mentioned a little bit over the course of this show, we are going to be doing some Men on a Mission films, oh, yeah. some old school 60s war films, kind of the ones that, yeah, going back to World War II. Killing them Nazis. One directly referenced in this. This always accidentally happens where there's some sort of direct reference. It's but, crazy. And I don't intend Fate. for it. I literally don't. Like, I literally just put Dirty Dozen because I, I knew we had something we were going to hit a little later on. I knew yeah. I wanted to get it in there. Had no idea that the cast of the Dirty Dozen voiced the Small Soldiers yeah, guys insane. until I read about it. That's awesome. Um, and again, same way that Jim Brown. This three weeks now of Jim Brown because he was in Running Man. Oh, yeah. He was in Small Soldiers and now he's going to be in Dirty Dozen. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So... Just the way this is working. Either way, 1967, directed by Robert Aldrich. We're going to be talking uh, The Dirty Dozen, also starring, I mean, shit, lots of lots of great uh, American actors at the time. John Cassavetes, uh, Charles Bronson, uh, Jim oh, yeah. Brown. Um, and then we're going to be pairing it with uh, one year later, 1968, I believe, and that is Where Eagles Dare. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one starring Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood. Both of the two, I think, most popular and uh, most influential um, men on a mission uh, films, which is what the uh, genre would eventually be called, which is just a bunch of it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a <laughs> yeah. bunch of different personalities of men gathering together to do some sort of mission. It now has a bit of a broader genre where it's not just war movies. Yeah. Like technically, like heist movies can be men on a mission movies. Uh, you know, all all kinds of. I mean, some there's one called Kelly's Heroes that's literally. Uh, a men on a mission heist movie, uh, oh, but it's still a World War II movie. But they're doing a heist behind enemy lines in World War II. Interesting. Yeah. So like they started fusing that together a little bit. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about next week for you guys uh, over on Patreon. That's uh, again Patreon.com/slashlezoidspodcast for all our bonus listeners. That's what you're going to get. And in two weeks' time, we are going to be back, and we are going to be with a special guest, and we are going to be talking '90s. I believe, I haven't seen either, so he might have to clarify for us, but I believe they're both erotic thrillers. So sort of like basic instinct uh, territory. Interesting. Like kind of horror thriller and their 90s. So we know him for some batshit crazy stuff. (laughs) Well, yeah, so we're going to be doing To Die For, 1995, directed by uh, Gus Van Sant. And that one stars Nicole Kidman and Matt Dillon, Joaquin Phoenix. Gus Van Sant. That sounds very familiar. Big name. Okay. Um, Goodwill Hunting, oh, okay. My Own Private Idaho, Elephant, go. Drugstore Cowboy. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, he did an erotic thriller in the 90s starring Nicole Kidman. With, and he's got a little Ooh. Pomeranian dog in it, so that looks kind of cute. Um, so that is going to be the first film. And the second film is one called uh, A Perfect Murder, which I am just uh, looking up right now because I am absolutely that kind of person um it's from 1998 and it's directed by andrew davis and this one stars michael douglas yeah basic instinct boy he's back um i guess he just loves these erotic sex yeah the erotic thrillers that was his thing so michael douglas gwyneth paltrow and vigo mortensen shit love you again that's uh, directed by andrew davis from the year 1998 so that's what you can expect in two weeks time for your free episode uh, but yeah, that should wrap it all up for this week. Thanks as always for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>